Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Joy Church. Awesome. Good to see you. Listen, you know, I know you're in church and the pastor's up here and you're used to pastors just straight up lying to you on Sunday. I'm not going to do that. Um, Here's the reality. I told the first service crowd that they were the best looking, but honestly, I'm going to cancel that. You guys are the best looking. You guys are the best looking crowd of of people I've ever seen on uh, April... 17th, uh, 2022 in church. I, uh, I went to the bathroom and washed my hands because I was standing by the front door shaking everybody's hands and I thought, I have all the COVID. Um, <laughs> but luckily, just being a pastor, I, I've developed a super immunity, you know, to all the, the Petri dish of things that can happen. But uh, you guys, I want to be honest with you, I am an introvert. And I know that, that it doesn't seem like that because my job is to get up on stage on Sunday and, and speak and I'm out front shaking hands and saying hi, but the more, and my wife can attest to this, the more sort of extroverted events I have to be a part of, I just get straight up weird. Has anybody know what I'm talking about? Introverts, okay? Okay, thank you. And I lose, um, I'm not trying to like overdo the introvert extrovert thing, because extroverts are cool. I mean, they're okay sometimes, but anyways, uh, I get weird and I actually start to like, uh, like hurt myself on accident. And so I went into the offices and, and in our offices, there's a big pillar. It's kind of like the last part of Skate World. It's this big pillar. It's painted bright red. And I'm sort of nostalgic. I just kind of want to keep it. Other people want to paint it. But it's this bright red concrete pillar. And I was saying something to Thomas Hibma. I don't know if he's in here. And I was like, hey, Thomas. And I walked in and I'm like kind of dazed from talking to everyone. And I ran right into the pillar. So I don't know. Uh, anyways, I appreciate that, that, that support that you gave me there. Um, we're not here to talk about, about that. You know, I, I love being in church for a lot of different reasons, and probably not the ones you think. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a Christian because I like Christian music. I'm not a Christian because, um, because I like religion. Uh, I'm not a Christian because I love fairy tales or something. I, I'm just a Christian, and I go to church because I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. Um, and for me, looking at all the answers that are out there, the isms, the osophies, the the, the different world religions, like I find there to be something wanting in the, in the weight and measurement. And we're going to talk about that today. But one of the things I love about church is if you look around this room right here, um, this is a picture of what it's going to look like in heaven. I don't want you to freak out, but the reality is there's somebody in this room and maybe even sitting next to you that voted the opposite way than you did. <laughs> and, and, and don't tell people who you voted for, otherwise you might have a church split right on an Easter Sunday. Um, there are people in this room uh, f- that we were born on different sides of the railroad track, and uh, I was born on the wrong side. So, <laughs> but you know, the, the different socioeconomic classes. We have different races and ethnicities. This is a beautiful picture of diversity. We have men and women here. We have generations. We have older people. You know who you are. Don't self-identify. Younger people. You know who you are. If you're in your middle ages like me, you just I, I've been 25 for many years. But the gray in my beard says it tells a different story. But all joking aside, we are this picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. Unity out of diversity. And we're not here because we agree about politics. We're not here because we agree about the exact perfect way to do church. We're not here because we agree on how to solve the problems in our world. The reason we're here is to come around this message about a God that loves this world and invaded its screwed up mess and sent his beloved son to die on a cross and rise from the dead. 
And Easter is about resurrection. And you go, well, what does that mean? Well, it's talking about physical resurrection, that Jesus was actually rose from the dead. And we'll talk about the historicity of that, the fact that I believe in it as a historical event, not just as a fairy tale. But the thing about resurrection is it's not just awesome because Jesus rose from the dead. What's awesome is that when you trust in Jesus, you get to have resurrection life too. And that goes into your physical, your physical life. That's what Christians hope for and believe. The gospel is that we will rise again with God, that death won't have the final say, kind of like we, we sing about today, which I don't know about for you, but that gives me a lot of hope because there's people that I deeply love that have gone on to, to they've, you know, kicked the bucket, bought the farm, crossed the river, whatever you want to say. And their, and their hope in Christ, what I say is I'm going to see Papa Dave again. I'm going to get to see my grandpa Vincent again in heaven. Like there's that eternal life. There's, there's life again. But the thing is about death is death doesn't just sort of invade our physical existence. Death has infiltrated every aspect of life. We have death in our relationships. People are divided. We've got death in our societies. We've got death in mental health. We've got death in all these kind of things. And we've tried to construct answers as a culture. And people have done this throughout history but ultimately they fall short. And the problem that God solved with Easter is the problem of death. That's the problem that he solved in Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So you excited about that? It's kind of a a fire and a, a brimstone preacher, like a real intense preacher named Leonard Ravenhill, who I think is awesome. But he said this, he said, Jesus didn't come to make bad men good. He came to make dead men alive. You know, the thing is about, about the gospel, this, the, the word gospel, it sounds kind of religious and I know maybe you're here today and you're like, hey, this is my once a year. I have to go to church because somebody in my family dragged me here. Hey, I am glad you're here. I told some guys earlier, hey, if at least you get donuts. I mean, like at the end of the day, it's maybe a wash. You know what I mean? It might stink. The message might be awful, but at least you got a donut hole. You could just call it a wash, you know, and, and we'll end it an hour. Okay. So it'll be short and sweet. All right. But, uh, but maybe you're here today and, uh, and you're like, you know, this isn't really my thing. I'm not a church person. I'm not, uh, I'm not all into this. Um, and you have this idea about this word gospel, the good news, or, or you could even broaden it out a little bit to, to speak to the Christian faith or Christianity or what you call church or church people or whatever. Most people think they have it figured out, that they understand what it means to be a Christian or they understand what the gospel is, this message about God saving the world through Jesus. And in my experience, what I found is that they often do not understand the, the message of the gospel. And here's what I want to ask you today. I want to ask you that if you decide to reject Jesus Christ, if you just say, this isn't for me, I'm not in, I don't want to, I don't want to buy the t-shirt, like I'm not doing it. All I ask is that you would reject Jesus for the right reasons, not the wrong ones. You see what I'm saying? I, I want to make sure that you actually understand who he is and what he did and why Christians for the past 2000 years, though they've done a bunch of stuff to, to kind of screw it up, honestly, Right. If you think you found a perfect church, you didn't. There's another church across town that I can tell you that's more perfect, but we're not. This is not a perfect church. Christians don't always get it right. That's not, the, that's not the reason to believe or disbelieve. The reason to believe or disbelieve is this. Is Jesus who he said he was? Did he do what the scripture says that he did? Is, is, that, is that true? Is there truth in this? And can you build your life on it? So most people think that they, they understand it and they reject Christianity because of a false perception or they reject Christ because they don't see the truth of the gospel. It reminds me of my son, Jack. Uh, I have three kids, Evie, Jack, and Penny, and they're awesome. And uh, my son, Jack, is eight years old now, but uh, five years ago, we had our very first Easter at Joy Church, and we met at the Hilliard Community Center. Any Hilliard OGs? Come on, raise your hand, Hilliard OGs. There's only like 10 of us because that's how many people were in the church at that time. 
So if you're like, they're not here anymore. No, actually, everybody's still here. There's just so few of us. And we, we crammed into this tiny community center. And on the very first Easter, uh, we had, I don't know, 50 or 60 people that were there. And uh, we had all the adults in one room. And then we had all the kids in, in one room. And my wife, my dear saintly wife, was, what, was doing kids ministry with babies, right, from zero all the way to 12 years old in this tiny room that was probably designed for like 15, 20 people. And she had 30 kids in there. So she's in there and she's teaching the Easter story and she's saying, you know, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And then my son, Jack, was he two years old at the time? Jack is a very particular kid. I love him. He's a scientifically minded, logical, rational creature. And he raised his hand and, and Bethany said, yes, Jack, what would you like to share with the class? And he said, Jesus died. <laughs> and she said, yes, Jack, Jesus did die. He died on the cross, you know, and then he rose again. And he said, no, he didn't. Jesus died. <laughs> and they proceeded to have a back and forth ping pong game argument uh, between my wife and uh, my two-year-old son who was uh, informing the class that, you know, people don't come back from the dead. Now, here's the deal. Uh, in our normal experience of human life and existence and observing things, we, we do see that death tends to be the final word, right? It, it, you don't, you know, unless if you see like tons of people coming back to dead, you probably play too many video games. Like you've watched The Walking Dead too many times, but if that doesn't really happen, if it does happen, it's kind of a big deal. It's what we'd call a miracle. Like God was doing something outside of the ordinary operation laws and rules of nature. And he decided to do something significant. And, and, and when he does that, does a miracle, we should go, why did that happen? What's the significance? So here's Jack. And he's like, no, Jesus died. Finally, Bethany had to say, Okay, class, ignore Jack <laughs> so we can finish the lesson and she could finish teaching them the whole gospel, which is, yes, Jesus died, but he also rose again. Now, it's funny because what I find is that we laugh at that story about Jack saying Jesus died and not really getting the whole thing. But for most people, in fact, even a lot of people that call themselves Christians, they have the wrong idea about what the gospel really is. And I think about this in life. There's times where you, you kind of think that you've got it. You know, like you've arrived. You know your favorite food. You know your favorite music. You, you know the type of people that you like to spend time with. And then all of a sudden, life comes along and it reveals to you that there was more to the story than you knew about. For me, like one example was with music. I mean, I grew up, my dad was, made us listen to like 70s rock. So I know Doobie Brothers and the Eagles. And I mean, that's good music right there. I don't care who you are. It's good. All the 50-year-old and above men are like, yeah, you know what I mean? But I love that kind of music. Let's go. I'm not 50, by the way, in case anyone thought. Not yet. I just act 50. But anyways, uh, where am I talking about? Oh, yeah. So I remember the day I'm like 15, 16 years old. I'm in, uh, I'm in a 24-hour fitness. And uh, I, I, no, I don't like working out. You can tell, but I don't like it. Um, I don't enjoy it. So I was just in there. It's probably just, you know, virtue signaling that I like to work out, but I, I don't. So I'm in 24-hour fitness, and all of a sudden, this song comes on. Can you play my, this one right here? Okay, that's good. Who, who knows that song? That's Coldplay. That's Yellow. Come on, who likes that song? Thank you. These are the real Christians. Everybody else exit, please. No candy for your children. Out, 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 out. Be gone. I love Coldplay. I know that makes me a basic white dude, but I am. I just own it. I'm a basic white dude. I, I, I drink sugary drinks until Bethany helped me drink real man coffee, Americanos. But anyways, 
I love Coldplay. I went to a couple Coldplay concerts. We went to a Coldplay concert in Roseville, California, and Chris Martin ran right by me, and I was like, ah! I'm ashamed to say. I'm ashamed to say. So, but it's true. Got to be honest. So, I love Coldplay, and that changed my paradigm. I was like, I thought I knew music, and all of a sudden they're playing this angsty, kind of ugly, discordant thing, and then Chris Martin singing, and, and it's falsetto, and I was like, everything changed for me. The light bulb came on, and a new style of music became, I became aware to it, woken up to it. It happened to me with food. I mean, I love, like, burger and fries. Nothing wrong with that. Kill a burger. You know, I love it. Uh, it's, it's awesome. But I remember getting to know Bethany, and she had a, a more let's just say international and exotic palate uh, of food. And so she's, she's like, you need to try Vietnamese, you need to try Indian, you need to try Thai. Can I get my picture of my Pad Thai right there? Mmm, somebody. Wow, the Holy Spirit just came into the room. <laughs> ha, glory. So anyways, I, I remember like going out to eat, and I don't know if it was Bethany or someone, but I got introduced to Pad Thai. And like, you, if you don't believe in God, go to a Thai restaurant. I don't know. What else am I supposed to say about it? I mean, like, you can't eat that and just say, oh, everything's just purely here by chance. You just, you can't do it. So my whole universe changed in that moment. And then the biggest one of them all was Bethany and I, we knew each other. We were kind of acquaintances. I don't even, wouldn't even say we were friends. But all of a sudden, one day I saw her walk in and I, this is what happened in my heart. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Everything changed for me. The lights came on. And here's the deal. That's how the gospel is for most people. You've never heard the gospel compared to careless whispers, right? But now you have. Now you're changed forever. When the lights came on, it changed everything for me. I was a brand new person. And the gospel, when you see it, when you get it, when you see who Jesus is, when you get what he did for you, all the, the stuff, all the nonsense that, that maybe you think it is or what religious people, maybe well-meaning or not, have tried to make it or whatever, it sort of fades away and you're like, I get it now. I've gone from burgers and fries to pad thai. Like, I'm a different person. I'm in, I'm in a new, whole new world. I went from casual acquaintance to careless whispers. It's a whole new, whole new thing. You see, most people think they understand what the core message of Christianity is. They don't. This is what people think of it as. And I'll just try, throw some out there. And maybe you listen to this and go, hey, this, this is, I've thought this. Like people think the gospel is, number one, a list of rules. In other words, do's and don'ts. So the good news is God will love you if you do all the right stuff. If you will, you know, make sure that you only hit PG-13 on the Netflix. And, and you know, if you don't, if you leave the F word out, but you can say the D word every once in a while. But like it's a list of rules and, you know, do's and don'ts. And as long as you, you know, you only flip people off on the belt line when they deserved it, then it's okay. You're... <laughs> They always deserve it. So anyways, it's a list of rules. And this is how people think. And we laugh, but actually we think about it this way. We think Christianity, this God thing, is this list of rules. Or you might think it's how to get to heaven when you die. So it's like heaven is password protected. Uh, or get out of hell, you know, so you don't go there. I don't want to go to the bad place, so I guess I want to go be a big baby and play a harp, you know. And, and we laugh about it, but actually we kind of think this about the gospel that maybe it's, you know, if I do the right stuff or if I learn the right codes or passwords or whatever, then I'll, I'll get to go to heaven when I die. Another thing that people think that the gospel is that it isn't is that if you're a good person, God will accept you. So basically you have this idea of, a, of weights and measurements. And so 
You say, at the end of my life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pile up all the good stuff I've done, you know, the, the money I gave to the homeless and, and the times that I didn't cuss out the opposite political party or flip somebody off or whatever, and then the time that I didn't, you know, uh, watch that bad show. And you, you think that your good deeds will, will somehow outweigh the bad, and then if you're a good person, God will be like, okay, you can come into my, my, my house now, like you can come into heaven. And these ideas are not 100% wrong. There might be grains or elements of truth to them, but they're not the gospel. They're not the real message. It's like you're still eating a burger, but you're missing out on something better. You're, you're missing the, the reality of the gospel, this, this real thing, and you're rejecting Christianity or rejecting Christ for the wrong reasons. Let me share God's heart with you, and I'll do it in a verse that I think we all probably know, even if this is your obligatory once a year uh, church attendance, which is awesome. Uh, I'm glad you're here. But like, we all know this one, and the way I know this is because if you've ever been at a Christian's house in their bathroom, they always have it on the wall. And it's this one, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The words of that verse spoken to us by Jesus' disciple, John, John says, this is what God was up to. This is, this is the heart. This is the core message. It's not get into heaven when you die. It's not the list of rules and do's and don'ts and be a good person. What, the, what this is, is God's love is the first thing. God loved the world. Raise your hand if you're in the world. We should have 100% participation. God loves you. No, God's mad at me. I haven't lived the right way. Well, maybe you haven't, but that doesn't take away his love for you. God loved you. He loves the world. And his response to that was to give his son, to send a piece of himself, to send his own heaven's best treasure into the mess of earth so that people could connect with him and actually have life, eternal life. And, and John goes on, he says, and God's purpose was not to condemn the world. In other words, Jesus didn't just come down to tell you, well, you're all bad. His purpose was to not condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Here's my goal for you today, for all of us together, whether you are checking out Christianity, you're kind of kicking the tires or somebody drug you here and you can't wait to leave. I don't blame you like no problem, right? But, or if you're like a card carrying, like I love Jesus and I'm all in. All of us together in this room from, from all the diversity and backgrounds that we come from, here's what I, I want us to leave today. I would, I would hope that as you leave today, you would say something that, that you hear that it changes things for you and that you go, I've got something to think about when it comes to this Jesus guy. Maybe I've thought that I understood the gospel. Maybe I've thought that I understood this message. Maybe I thought that I sort of had a corner on it and I, I got it and I've, I've either accepted it or rejected it, but for the wrong reasons, my hope and prayer is that you would think about it and that you would have a serious, introspective look into, is this true? Is it factual? And who is this God that, that I'm hearing about today? and get rid of all the, the extra baggage and all the other things that maybe well-meaning people have tried to convince you of or whatever, and just tune into this message about what the gospel actually is. There's a story in scripture, uh, same disciple that, re that recounted this event. It was in John chapter eight, and I think it exemplifies the heart of Jesus, and it exemplifies the heart of the gospel message. I don't know if I said this earlier, but gospel, it's a religious sounding word, but here's what it means. It means good news. What makes me sad as a follower of Jesus is that for many people, they've heard the gospel as bad news, or they've heard the gospel as news that didn't matter, irrelevant news. 
when the reality is the very word means good news, and it can only be good for all people at all times. And if it's not good to you, you're not getting it. It it was clouded. It was distorted. It wasn't communicated correctly. Or maybe there's something about you that's not listening to the right thing. The the, the news is always good. And, And this story exemplifies this good news. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, so John paints this picture, Jesus is at the temple, he's in the church service, the center of religious life. This is a very important place here in Jerusalem and specifically at this time. It's an open courtyard and he's there teaching, this crowd gathers. It says, uh, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So they bring this woman in, they've brought her out of this moment of disgrace. They bring her into this church service or into this religious area public, right out in front of everybody, and they throw her down uh, right there, put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, just a little editorial note from me. Uh, Where's the guy? Maybe he's holding a stone. Who knows? Uh, But that's just a question. So oftentimes when there's judgment apart from the gospel, it's, it's human-oriented, and somebody's been treated with injustice. Like, why is there only one person here when they're so caring about fulfilling the law? Just a question. So she's there, and uh, they try to trap Jesus. It says they're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but he stooped down, Jesus did, and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. Tell us what you're going to do. Tell us. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned Throw the first stone. Jesus, not only is Jesus like loving and, and he's the savior of the world, but he's also a boss because what a good move right here, right? He doesn't fall into the trap. He dodges it and he says, sure, the law says you can stone people in adultery. So if you haven't sinned and you, you, have, the moral, uh, you have the moral grace to stand in the p- place of God to judge sin, then go ahead and throw the stone. And... Uh, It says he stooped down after he said that and wrote again in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I want you to think in your mind. I want you to hear the stones hitting the dirt, hitting the the, the paved rock with the dust on it and clinking down one by one as this woman's waiting every time, wincing. She's there waiting for the stone to hit her. And one by one, they fall and the shuffling feet go. And now she's alone with Jesus. And put yourself in her shoes. And Jesus says to her, he stood up and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What an amazing picture of Jesus. I don't know the Jesus that you have thought that you heard about or the Jesus that you thought church people were all about or the Jesus that you thought supported your political party. He doesn't. Which political party do you mean? All of them. He doesn't support your political party. He has his own kingdom. He's a king. There's no voting. I don't know the Jesus that you were introduced to, but this Jesus is different. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I'm going to give you three big thoughts about the gospel today that I hope will, again, send you out of the room going, hmm, I haven't thought about it that way. Number one, that God's grace always finds us in our disgrace. I want you to think about this woman again. Put yourself in her shoes. This is the lowest moment of her life. 
that I could think of. I mean, if you're getting caught in the dirty deed, come on, we're in church, somebody. So you're getting caught right in the act and you're pulled out, caught red-handed and you're dragged. She's probably in a state of undress. Do you think she was ashamed? Yes. You think she was a little bit embarrassed? Yes. People want to kill you. They want to stone you. This is not Eugene stoning. Getting stoned in Eugene is different. This is not that. It's different. If you're like super religious, you will hate this church. I'm just telling you right now. I didn't write that down. That just comes out of my mouth. Okay, so I'm always like, babe, what can I do to clean up this sermon after? And she's like, you, you're doing good, honey. You know, so I'm, I'm a work in progress. So this isn't Eugene stoned. This is first century Jerusalem stoned, like getting killed with rocks. You think she's afraid? Yes. Embarrassed, ashamed, humiliated, brought low, disgraced, probably in a state of undress. Yes, absolutely. The reality is, what a, what a perfect window into what sin does. We think, I need to find fulfillment. I mean, I don't actually, I don't have like condemnation for this woman. She, she was told something. She was promised something. She, maybe she feels like this dude that she's with is going to accept her and validate her and help her feel fulfilled. And maybe she didn't have a father that was there to love her and, and walk with her and actually teach her what it meant to, to find a guy that was worth walking her down an aisle. I don't know. We don't know her story, but she's in this moment of disgrace. Sin always promises you fulfillment and it leaves you high and dry. It leaves you in the middle of a crowd, butt naked, ashamed with people ready to stone you. This is what sin does. And we think, well, my sin makes God hold the rock to smite me, almighty oh smiter. Think of God like Randy Johnson. Do you remember the big unit? Throws like 104. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Pitch for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, some people know. Okay, so I watched Randy Johnson pitch a game one time, and the dude throws the ball so hard, you can hear it hit the glove. Well, pap! And people were like trash talking him, and I was like, you stupid. The dude's like 6'8 and can throw a 104-mile fastball into like a tiny window. Like, you're going to die. Shut up. You know what I mean? <laughs> we think that God is there with that fastball ready to bring it down. And Jesus completely breaks the paradigm here. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't d diminish the standard. This is, he doesn't say, adultery is fine. Enjoy. It's not what he says. He says, where are your accusers? Who accuses you? No one, Lord. Well, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. He doesn't validate the sin. What he does is he changes her, her heart. He speaks right to her. Sin promises to fix you, but it leaves you broken. Jesus gets broken on the cross so we can be fixed. The gospel is always filled with these sort of paradoxical moments like this where what you expect from God, what God has every right to do and to judge us for our sin, he does something different. He doesn't actually throw out the standard what he does is he makes a payment for it. And Jesus knows, I'm going to give my blood for this woman's sin. And Jesus makes two provocative, incredible statements here. He says, no condemnation. I don't condemn you. And number two, go and sin no more. What you find is that if humans invented the gospel, if it wasn't a God-given thing, we reverse these. We say, if you don't sin, if you don't do the wrong stuff, then you won't be condemned. But that's actually backwards to the real gospel. The real gospel is that Jesus doesn't condemn you. And from a place of acceptance because he loves you and made payment for you and paid for your sin at the cross, he invites you then into a relationship with him. And it's only in that relationship that his grace begins to work. And you actually can live in the way that you should have lived all along. You see, we, you guys, we live in a culture that has said to you, 
really from the time you were born, that you are time plus slime plus chance. You are a biological accident. And if you take it away from sort of the grand scope of just human naturalism and all of that, you were probably told you were just an accident, you were somebody's mistake in the backseat of a taxi, whatever, I don't know. But a lot of people, they have no sense of personhood and, and, and purpose. And one of the things that we say here at Joy Church, and we believe it, is you were made, we have a slogan on this little banner over here, you were made on purpose and for a purpose. You have a God that created you. And you go, yeah, but where was he when all the nonsense was happening and all the pain and all the, the broken crap in my life? Well, he was there loving you. The reality is you were born into a broken, screwed up world, but he's calling you out of that broken, screwed up world into his kingdom so you can actually go back into that broken, screwed up world and make a difference yeah. and be the person you were created to be all along and stop falling into the sin trap that leaves you high and dry and leaves you naked and ashamed in front of a bunch of people going, uh-oh, I don't hope I don't get stoned. Some of you are like, after this sermon, I do hope I get stoned, but that's between you and Jesus. <laughs> the real Jesus, his heart, is redemption, not retribution. Yeah. It, it actually saddens me because as believers on both sides of the political spectrum in the United States, we often want to have retribution against those that we deem to be messing stuff up. Like, I know, please don't like start fighting openly, but like in this room, you've got like Bernie people here, Bernie Sanders and Hillary. You like love Hillary, like you're here. I know you are. This is Eugene, like you're here. And then there's some of you that are like, Trump, Trump, Trump. Please don't start cheering anybody because I don't want to have a church split, okay? N neither side of this spectrum has the real answer. And oftentimes what happens is Christians will get connected to a, this kingdom of this world and maybe you're right. Maybe you're, maybe you're wrong. I don't know. We're not talking about that today. But here's the deal. When your heart is to have retribution, you're missing the heart of God. Because you don't have enemies. You have brothers and sisters. When your brother or your sister is out of their mind with some crazy idea, whatever you think that crazy idea is, Jesus wants to have, get your heart to be redemption for them, that you could be in relationship so that even though we disagree, we could agree on one thing. We all need Jesus, and we're even at the foot of the cross. So instead of, well, I'm pro, I'm a feminist, or I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm about men, I'm all about men. Nobody says that right now in, in our culture. <laughs> I'm all about this particular race. You know, you need to be ashamed if you're this color or whatever. No, no you don't. The only reason that we have shame is because we've sinned against the holy and loving God that made all the colors, that made men and women, that created us. Okay, I could go on and on, but I'm going to move on. You with me? God's heart is redemption, not retribution. So if your Jesus is, you know, looking for retribution, you're missing it. Number two, big thought is this. Salvation comes by grace through faith. I'm going to move quick because we've got, got to get out. There's a, a raging horde of children ready to fall like locusts upon that candy, so... We need to move on. Number two is this, that salvation comes by grace through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. These words are beautiful. They were penned by a man named Paul. He used to be called Saul. He was the most religious and Jewish of the Jews. He, was so, he thought he had the corner on what it meant to be a follower of God and honor God and he took it so seriously that he was actually uh, persecuting Christians, the early Christians. And Jesus himself had to appear to him and say, Saul, you're muffing it, man. Like that was what he said in the original language, if you just study it out as a scholar, trust me. He said, Saul, you're kicking against the goads. Like you're, you're just going the wrong direction. And then Saul has a 
careless whispers moment, a complete change. And he has a revelation of Jesus. And, and then he writes these words years later as he goes in and he plants most of the churches and spreads the gospel around the Roman Empire. He's like the, the pre, preeminent apostle, like spreading the gospel everywhere. And this is what he realizes when he meets Jesus, that salvation is not earned, it's a gift. You don't deserve it. You want to understand God's grace? You're not deserving, you're desired. You're offered salvation and you're offered a place at God's table because you're God's kid, not because you did something good. And, And Paul realizes this. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Here's a little acrostic that I learned years ago. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. You're not deserving, you're desired. You know, God loves you desperately. He loves the stuffings out of you. I have three kids, Evelyn, Jack, and Penelope. And I love my kids. I love them so desperately. I yell at them every day. (laughs) Because they do stupid stuff, man. And I want them to become like good members of society. You know what I mean? So... Like, what are you thinking? And they're like, I don't know, I wasn't thinking. It's like, did you learn your entire life skills from SpongeBob SquarePants? Like, what's wrong with you, man? But I love my kids. I remember when, before we had Evie, Bethany was, was pregnant and, and she had the pregnant tummy and I would lay in bed and I would talk to Evie, Evie, it's daddy, I love you. You hear my voice. I read that little babies could hear their father's voice, that they would know their father's voice out of the womb. And I didn't want Bethany to have all the love. So I was trying to get as close as possible, you know. <laughs> It was like, I'm not going to do nice things for you when you're older, but like your mom will take care of you. But I do love you. You know, I'm, I love my kids so much. And I think about me as a stinking, sinful human father, flawed with my own insecurities and problems and, and, and issues and, and trying to figure out how to be somebody in the world and all that stuff. And, and, and if I love my kids the way that I love them, man, that's just a drop of spit in the ocean to what God feels for you. When you go, well, yeah, but Jake, I didn't have a dad that spoke to my, my mother's womb. You don't know my story. I, I don't have a father that loved me, was there for me. No, and I'm, and I'm deeply sorry you didn't. Because earthly fathers, if we were following the pattern of our heavenly father, we would be there. We wouldn't be abandoning children, and we wouldn't be leaving them to the scourges of society and so on and so forth. And I could talk about this a lot because it's important to our society but ultimately what, what happens is you have to understand you do have a father that loves you. You see, I was blessed and lucky to have a dad that does love me, that did discipline me, that did raise me right, and he taught me how to listen to the Doobie Brothers. You know, he passed some good things on to me. But the reality is even my own father, who would, by earthly standards, is a good dad, he failed, he's flawed, he wouldn't tell you that he didn't, he wouldn't tell you that he's perfect. And there's areas of me and inside of my heart that even my father, who was a good father by the standards of this world, could not fulfill because I was always pointing to a heavenly father that was perfect. And that's God. You're not deserving. You're desired. He loves you because you're his kid. And his inheritance is waiting for you through relationship with Jesus. And Paul says, this is grace. How does it happen? It comes through this thing we call faith. Now, faith in this original language in the translation here, it doesn't mean what we as English speaking people and the 21st century tend to think about in a very naturalistic culture what faith is. We tend to think of faith like blind faith, like I just believe it, even though it's kind of a fairy tale. Uh, that's not the word that's being used here. If you actually break it down, what it's saying is a guarantee in a tr- a, made by a trusted party. Someone that you trust, their character, their integrity, 
that they're going to stand behind what they said they would do, and you trust because you know them. That's the kind of faith that's happening here. So Paul's saying, if, you, if, you, if you're connecting with salvation, it's understanding God loves you, and if you see his character, faith gets birthed in your heart where you trust that he will do what he said he would do, that he would save you, that you believe in that because he's, he's trustworthy. This past summer, we had some work done at our house, a big remodel, and we had uh, my good friend Ed Dasso, I think Ed's here, somewhere here, and his crew, yeah, woo-woo, and uh, they did all this work, and Ed was like, we're going to be tearing out your, your you know, ceiling in your kitchen, and we're like, okay, you need to do that to put a countertop in? All right, all right. We, like, we didn't understand. He's like, we'll be tearing out the ceiling, we'll be tearing out the walls, we're going to smash all this up, we're going to, you know, we're like, cool, 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 cool. We didn't, we didn't fully understand, but what I knew is Ed has never let me down. He's trustworthy. He's my friend. I know that he knows what he's doing, so I'm going to grant him a, 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 a charter of trust, faith, because he's going to do what he said. And if something isn't according to the standards that we need, he'll make it right. His crew will make it right. Like, we had faith. That's the kind of faith Paul's talking about. And so when he's talking about this here, he's saying God's grace, again, you're not deserving, you're desired, and this kind of faith is that you know his character. Here's the deal. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I don't know. I, I don't really know about this God thing. I don't know if I really believe in miracles. I don't really know. Um, what I want to encourage you to do, and I just want to ask you to do this today, is again, to reject Christ only for the right reasons, not the wrong ones. Don't be intellectually dishonest. What I found is that for many people, they have doubts about the authenticity of scriptures. They have doubts about the historicity of the resurrection event. They have doubts about the character and nature of God. They have questions like, how could a loving God allow horrible evil that we see in the world? And they have all these questions, but they only ask them to people that already agree with their perspective that they currently hold. And like I said before, God's not scared of doubt. And so what I want to encourage you to do is ask all the questions that you have so you can dig down to the bottom of the well and find out, is he for real? You see, people doubt Jesus, and I don't have time to go into all of this, this resurrection event, I could talk all about it, but do you know there were 500, at least 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus post-death, you know, after he rose from the dead? And even Jesus' enemies, the Roman Empire and the religious leaders, couldn't deny that people said that they saw Jesus. They, they, they actually, it's written about in secular historians like uh, Josephus, was a Jewish historian that worked for the Romans, Tacitus. Suetonius, these different historians that if you look into it, they, they acknowledge there was a guy named Jesus, his followers thought he rose from the dead. There were enough people, even 30 or 40 years later, that had been eyewitnesses to Christ post his death that at the time you couldn't even deny it. Now, 2,000 years later, you can have somebody who's been on Reddit uh, who thinks they know what they're talking about and be like, that's not even true. Have you actually dug down and done the research? Because see, let me tell you something. I'm not a Christian because I like Christian music. I'm not a Christian because we have coffee and donuts at Joy Church. I'm a Christian because I've studied this out and I can't deny that Jesus rose from the dead. And maybe you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, I don't think it's a fairy tale or metaphorical or philosophical. I think it actually happened. And because I believe it actually happened, I have to look at who Jesus said he was and what he claimed. And then when I look into this person, Jesus, and I see that man who doesn't condemn this woman, who doesn't lower the standard, but instead pays the debt himself on the cross, as we see happens a short time after this story. And then who raises from the dead, it's like, how can I ignore his claims? And so I want to encourage you to just look into this honestly, please. Don't take my word for it. Study it out for yourself. Ask the hardest, scariest, darkest, deepest questions, because the God that loves you is not afraid of your doubt. He will reveal himself to you. C.S. Lewis, great writer, 
past century Christian writer, he, he said, most people won't pull on the cord that they think is connected to God, not because they think it's going to come into their hands and there will be nothing there, but because they're more afraid of it pulling back. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? You go, I'm going to tug on this God cord. I'm going to ask my questions. I'm going to see, is he real? And when he tugs back, that's a little scary. And I invite you to that very scary moment. Last, not least, third thought, and we'll release the the kids to consume that candy. God's grace and love are scandalous. Jesus is a revelation of God's heart for people. Uh, In Luke chapter 15, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And it made the the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was with sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus told them a story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, Uh, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he has found it? When he finds it, he's going to put it on its shoulders, carry it home with joy, and he's going to rejoice, and he's going to tell his friends and neighbors, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I want to tell you right now, I don't know the God that you thought that you knew about. I don't know the gospel that you thought you understood, but the gospel, the real gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of a God that loves you is the gospel of a God that even in the mess and the muck of this world stepped down and invaded this mess and brought his son right into it and sacrificed himself because of great and, and, and overpowering love. God's love is incredible. We sing a song in church about he leaves the 99, he chases after you think, yeah, but I don't deserve to be saved. You don't, and neither do I, but he still desires you. The father that you always wish you had is your father in heaven. He will make your heart whole. And not only will he make your heart whole, he's not there to just give you like nice kind of therapeutic good feelings. He wants to rescue you from death. The death that you feel that permeates everything about our culture and society. What if instead of getting all mad and fighting each other and throwing stones at each other, we worked together and said, you know what? You suck, I suck, and we both need Jesus. But you can hear me say this, and you can hear me say it with passion and emotion and think, oh, he's just trying to push me into something. I'm not trying to push you into something. What I'm trying to do is get you to understand that God loves you so much. If you, if you only get to hear me one time, I pray to God that a preacher that you heard would have God's heart, and you'd hear the tears from God that he loves you. You're his child. He doesn't care where you've been. He has a place for you to go. Come on. He doesn't care that you've let him down. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't erase the standard. He elevates you to a place of grace from your disgrace. And I'm not standing up here as some perfect guy with it all figured out, having all the answers. Absolutely not. Far from it. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. Don't really do it. But (laughs) I'm somebody that says, I can't shake the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. What am I going to do with that? And when I look at all the isms and nosophies and other worldviews, they fall so flat because they tell a story about having to climb a ladder to God. And the Christian story says God climbed a ladder down to you, put his hand down into the mud and elevated you because you're his son or as your daughter. And you know it's true because it resonates in your very soul. Eternity, the scripture says, is woven into your hearts. And so as you hear my words today, you're even sitting there going, oh, I don't even know if I want that to be true, but I know it is because I want that love that Jake's talking about. I want to know that my father did something for me that in every moment, I know for the, the, in this room today, there are those of you that have been through sexual abuse, physical abuse, you've abused others. 
You've committed crimes. We're all sitting here and we're thinking, man, I've been hurt. I've hurt other people. How is this true? How is it possible? This is the gospel that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross and that he rose from the dead as a sign that what he said was true. And by trusting in Jesus, we can have eternal life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? As I said, I want to encourage you to ask the questions. I'm not pushing you to do something. Following Jesus is not a moment. It's a lifetime But right now in this moment, I believe God would have any person that says, I need Jesus today. Maybe you got dragged here and you were like, I don't even want to be here. Could it be if there is a God that he brought you to this moment to hear this crazy kid from Medford talk to you about Jesus? Could it be that if God is real, that he wanted you to hear who he really is? Could it be that he does love you desperately? Could it be? And you hear these words today and you go, you know what? I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. I want him to save me. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. I just want to ask, would you raise your hand right now so I can see just as an act of faith in the beginning, just saying, if this God is real, thank you. There's, that's awesome. 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 Raise it up high. Keep it up, please. Let me see. Awesome. 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 Man, so awesome. So awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. This is just the start of a journey of following Jesus, and we're going to give you some next steps. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with God. I put my hope and faith in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Let's celebrate that today.